0: Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing, I'm Peter Switzer, thanks for joining me. On tonight's program we have the fund manager Kelly Maher of Sage Capital. And Kelly argues the case that there are some travel stocks that are really worth investing in. Which ones are they? Well, we wait and see, we'll be talking about those in just a moment. And then I examine whether payment companies are dead in the water as investments or are they in the buy zone. I look at what the analysts are saying, rather than what I'm saying, but what the analysts who are paid to analyse companies and work out their future, what they're saying about some of these payment companies like Tyro and Zip and all those others after pay that have been really clobbered recently. And then we have a mortgage broker who shows you how you can get the best interest rate considering the fact that uh, home loan interest rates will be on the way up with the cash rate bound to go higher. If it's not next Tuesday, it'll be uh, the the first Tuesday in May. And that's the show. Let's kick off with Kelly Maher of Sage Capital. All right, joining me now is Kelly Maher, Portfolio Manager at Sage Capital. And she wants to talk about travel stocks in particular, but let's just get an overall feeling about what she's seeing in the market. Kelly, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks,
0: Peter. Thanks for having me. Okay. What are you seeing with the market right now? There's a lot of nervousness. Uh, I think the Australian market nearly hit uh, an all-time high last week. And I noted also, interestingly, that S&P 500 is down about 8% and we're only down about 2 But what are you seeing as the main drivers of this negativity right now?
1: Well, I think, Peter, um interest rates going up is the clear um issue that um is making uh, the market nervous however um historically we see bond yields going up and the equi- equities market sell off and um in in the last few months we've sort of had to throw away the textbooks somewhat and uh because there's been days where uh, bond yields have rallied and the equities market has rallied as well which yeah. um, doesn't actually mathematically make a lot of sense um but it has to be said that if um if interest rates are going to continue to go up then that's going to put pressure on on asset um, prices and and pe ratios which is going to ultimately have a negative effect on the equities market Mm. um but i guess a difference to note between the us market and the aussie market is that we've got a lot more resources and resources have obviously been very strong Um, with the Ukraine-Russian crisis and and supply shocks there. Hmm. A lot of the commodity um, prices have gone for a huge run and our um, companies here in that space have benefited from that. So we're not seeing um, headline. Our market is um, looking stronger than the US, but a lot of that's been driven by the resource side of the market. Hmm.
0: Um, Kelly, at the moment, of course, resources are being helped, even though it's having a bad run for the last couple of days. They've been helped by the Ukraine war, um, which has pushed up energy uh, prices and even demand for iron ore out of China has been, been pretty strong. Um, but if, for example, the Ukraine war is solved over the next two or three months and China gets out of its pandemic lockdown problems, would you expect the, the view to be that the global economic rebound would become Uh, An important focus, and that still should be good for resource stocks.
1: Uh, I think that those things you just mentioned are just so so uh, unlikely. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure that it's. I think that even if the if the conflict in the Ukraine and, and Russia ended tomorrow um the sanctions that have been applied are not going to end tomorrow this the history shows that sanctions uh tend to last for a very 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 long time and so um that will continue to uh put tightness in um supply chains supply of resources and and drive uh, the commodity prices higher uh, and as so, I just think that situation is just so far beyond. Um, as much as we'd love the um conflict in, over there to end, I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Mm.
0: And and your view on China is that the same, you think that the the pandemic problems are going to be there for a long time?
1: Well, that that's uh, that's a, a little bit um, possibly more likely for for um, for China maybe to get on top of the pandemic, um, and uh. You know, for that country to open up, um, and if that happened, then obviously the, I mean, we're Shanghai lockdown um, at the moment. For example, that's causing extra issues with with supply chain um, delays and increased freight costs, and so those sort of issues would be um, less less of a problem if if everything opened up again, um, and you know, obviously, be very good for a lot of different industry, industries, like like travel. Um, and tourism and, um, yeah, and and the like. But, yeah, again, it's one of those things which uh, I guess we're not sort of spending too much time pondering those things because uh, we feel that it's probably um, not not likely in the medium term, that's for sure.
0: OK. So let's go to the area that you want to talk about, namely travel stocks. Um, do, does a travel stock um, sector need the global economy heading back to normalcy to get the next leg up? Or do you think there can be more legs up, even with what's going on in the Ukraine and also China?
1: Um, yeah, so w- the reason we, we like the travel sector is um, just that it, it is, um, I think it can march the beat of its own drum, um, no matter what is going to, no, no matter what's happening from a broad um, macro perspective, because it has been depressed. For so long there's so much pent-up demand for travel um you know here in australia there's there's a whole lot of excess savings that people have in their bank accounts um, that they've saved through the pandemic i'm sure they've been spending a lot more on goods than um, services in the last couple of years but that's been so stimulation from uh, the government that people have um, excess savings that they're really keen to spend. Uh, And uh, I think we're just going to see a shift from um, spending on uh, stuff that we we saw in the pandemic. A lot of people spent a lot on stuff and not a lot on services. And that's going to shift now from people spending less money on stuff and more stuff, more money on services. And Mm. and travel is going to be one of the beneficiaries. And we're starting to see that um, you know, you're seeing huge spikes in demand for um, travel whenever there's um, a, a relaxation uh, of um, impediments. So the fewer impediments there are to travel, the, the stronger the demand's going to be. And you know, we're obviously seeing a, a trend there to you know not having to have um, be, be tested upon return to Australia. Um, and, and as we see more and more um, restrictions being lifted, demand um, will continue to grow. And a lot of these companies have cut their costs um, back during the last couple of years, and and their cost bases are way lower than they were before the pandemic. Um, and many of them, um, or one in particular, is in a much uh, is a much stronger and a bigger company coming out of this than they were going in. And that's corporate travel. Um, so out of all the company or the travel companies, um, they all raised money through the pandemic, but um, corporate travel was pretty much the only one that didn't raise money um, to survive. They raised money to, to make some pretty clever acquisitions. Um, one in the US, um, which has been a, a transformative acquisition for them, that makes them a real meaningful player over there in corporate travel, um, and more recently a, a smaller corporate travel business in Australia. So um, we like corporate travel um, over the longer term, um, just because it is now in a much stronger position to gain market share. So it doesn't have, we don't have to see a full rebound of, corporate travel um, back to the levels it was prior to the pandemic, for corporate travel to to grow its earnings because it's a, it's a market share hmm. um, game and um, and a margin game. And, and as they, um, uh, now they're bigger and stronger, um, we expect that those benefits to really start flowing through.
0: Yeah. Uh, are there any other local travel stocks that you like as a consequence of your analysis?
1: Yeah. So the other one, the other one we like, we do like Qantas. Um, they've, again, they've cut costs. Um, they, uh, have hedged their, they've got their fuel hedging pretty well, sort of for the, at least till the end of the year. Um, and they're, they've got a lot of pricing power, especially here in Australia with their dominant market position. And so, uh, any extra, um, fuel costs should be able to be passed through to the, to the consumer who's Who's still pretty keen to travel? Um, um, They can raise their ticket prices by say 10%. That should cover um, the cost of fuel at um, at with the oil price at say $130. Uh, I think that anyone who is keen to travel to um, go on a holiday and we're going to pay $200 for their tickets, probably okay to pay $220 for their tickets so that's they can recoup the the uh, fuel costs there. Um, and the other one that i think is probably going to continue to to go up um, even though maybe fundamentals um, sh- sh- should say otherwise is is flight center simply because it's a well-known name and it's a go-to stop for many investors who want exposure to travel um, but they that you know that they are fighting um, a lot more uh, headwinds than, than something someone like a, a corporate travel because they're um, they're, they're fighting things like the airlines cutting commissions. So, you know, a lot of a lot of airlines around the world are you know are, are struggling and, and trying to recoup some of their losses through COVID, and they're they're cutting the amount of money that they're willing to pay travel agents to on sell their tickets. And Flight Centre is um, uh, going to bear uh, the brunt of that, and so they're going to have to make up their money somewhere else, maybe by uh, charging when you walk into a flight center, uh, charging to to um, to sit down and talk to someone about your itinerary. So, uh, and finding staff is is very difficult. So they cut, cut a huge amount of staff, and as we know, um, st- you know good staff are hard to find, or any staff, at frankly, right now is hard to hard to find for most right. industries. And so that's going to be another headwind for them.
0: Okay, so Kelly, when you guys acquire a stock, what kind of time frame? Are you looking at to start making money on on that stock?
1: Uh, we have we, we have varying timeframes. I suppose we have we are um, quite uh, active traders. So we'll buy a stock um, with a view, um, maybe of holding it um, uh, just for maybe three months, uh, or we might buy a, a company that we really believe in over the long term and hold that uh, position for many years. Um, but I think it's fair to say that we we do um, adjust our positions fairly regularly with um, any incremental new information. We, but it doesn't necessarily mean you know buying a stock and then and then can, and selling out of it the next day. It might just mean that we've trimmed our position or bought a bit more because there's new information that's come to light, um, and that we like to get that reflected in the portfolio um, uh, pretty much immediately.
0: Okay. Well, a lot of people are asking me with tech stocks so heavily sold off and particularly payment stocks um, sold off. Have you been, you know, looking at some tech stocks from the point of view of they look like very good value if you're pre- prepared to hold them for some time? Uh,
1: at this stage, we're still we're still pretty... Um, we're just taking a back seat on, from, with most of the tech stocks right now. Um, we, most of them have a little bit... Uh, of a, we feel that they can fall a little bit further. Um, but there's certainly ones that we would we would love to be buying um, when uh, the time is right. Um, companies such as um, ProMedicus, which is just an amazing, um, fantastic you know, um, med tech company with an enormous um, addressable market. Um, uh, and ed tech companies like, uh, uh, IDP Education, which historically tra- you know, trades on very high multiples, it's it's um, being sold off. But um, you know, it, 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 once we're, we're closely watching for any of these high-quality, high-return-on-capital companies to if, when their when their PE ratios come back a little bit further, we'll be looking to to buy. Um, but for now, we're still cautious um, on a lot of on anything that has. Um, a high PE or or anything that has the the requirement to raise capital because it's a pretty tricky environment to raise capital at the moment. So um, we're steering clear of anything that's going to need to to raise money. Yeah,
0: really good point. Kelly, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Peter. That's Kelly Ma of Sage Capital. (laughs) In recent times, Payments companies like Afterpay and Zip, Tyro, EML Payments and others have been really smashed by the market. Some part of the reason for it is the fact that they are tech companies and tech companies also have been smashed as well. But there seems to be a real set against payments companies that once were unbelievably popular. And so people ask me, is, are they really in the buy zone, are they a buying opportunity for someone who's prepared to wait, and I know some people don't like waiting very long. Let's just have a look at what the experts are saying about these companies, which have, as I've said, been really, really smashed in recent times. Have a look at this table here on the screen, it shows you a company like Square 2, which is where Afterpay is nowadays really in a company called Block, but their ticker code is SQ2. The consensus rise by the experts who look at these companies, on average, says the share price should rise 47.9%, at least over the next year. Macquarie is even more positive with a 40.58% price rise on the company. Tyro, on the other hand, 151%. Morgan Stanley is unbelievably positive on the company, 298%. EML Payments which has had a real um, torrid time recently, um, on one hand exciting the market and then disappointing the market. Or Minette thinks um, its 153% upside is potentially there for the company. The average is 105%. So what is clear is that the analysts still like these companies despite the fact that the overall stock market driven by fund managers and the really big players aren't keen to buy these stocks right now. And many of these stocks are being shorted at this point in time. I think it's a really important point to say, well, it's not just these individual companies. It's pretty well all payments companies are copying it. And one of the most famous ones in the world and probably one of the most highly respected payments companies in the world would have to be PayPal. And I'll just put up on on screen the chart of what's happened in this company over the last few years. This is the chart, the five-year chart of PayPal. And what you can see there is this was about $120 stock uh, before the coronavirus crash. It fell into a big hole, um, as most stocks did. But it's had a huge recovery. peaked out around $308 in July 2021. But now it's an $83 stock. It's a 73% smashing. At the same time, a company like Zip has come down from $8.30 in July last year to $1.03, which is a 90% collapse. Now, I'm not comparing Zip to PayPal. I think PayPal has a a much broader and much uh, bigger audience at this point in time, but certainly, you can see payments companies, whether they be uh, really well-known, well-grounded, successful companies like PayPal or up-and-comers like Zippa, they've all, all been really, really smashed. And so I, I think the important point is, this is not just something of some local pa- payments companies being um, knocked around by the market. It's all payments companies. And as I said earlier, it's partly linked to the fact that they're tech companies, but they're also payments companies They they do borrow a lot of money and interest rates are on the rise, but these companies were borrowing money beforehand and they're they're used to higher interest rates. There should be more behind this than just simply uh, these companies are out of favour and will remain out of favour for a long time. As I pointed out previously, the experts who look at these companies and are paid to do so, they're pretty positive on what these companies can do in the future. The question is, how long will it take? I thought it might be interesting rather than just focusing on what local analysts are saying about payments companies, is to look at what uh, US analysts are saying about the big-name companies in the payment space. And what you can see on screen now is the the view from CNN and its um, money section. Uh, They survey, in this case, 43 analysts and they are 12-month price forecasts. And this is PayPal we're looking at on screen right now. And the, what you can see there is that the, the, the low forecast is $105, but you know, the is $83 today. The median, you know, the average or the median uh, price is $174 and the most optimistic has $245 there. So as you can see, there's a, a, a fair degree of confidence that a company like PayPal can turn around the negativity that's dominating its share price right now. For locals who have been after pay uh, shareholders, they're of course now holding block shares and SQ is the ticker code in the US. And once again, um, the analysts in the US are positive about the company over the next year. Uh, the low is $110 and that would be a Uh, a 12.5% fall from when I took that particular um, uh, chart um, um, shot. But the bottom line is the average is around 175 and the high is around 240. As you can see, there's a lot of people still believing that the, the payments companies have futures, not only here in Australia with our analysts, but also in the US as well. So as I've said, the experts are pretty positive about PayPal and other payments companies as well. But let's go back to that PayPal chart to test out whether the current sell-off looks a bit overdone. Now what you can see here is that the current share price is around $82. Um, The pre-pandemic high was $120 and then the the share price rocketed over the period where people were locked down and I think that $308 price came out of that the fact that um, the company uh, benefited from the fact that people were buying stuff online using PayPal, but I still think that the the sell-off look does look overdone, and so do the analysts, which I showed you in the previous um, chart. So I think the bottom line is that by now, pay later companies, I think this is an important point. If you think the people who like buy now, pay later companies, which primarily are younger people, but older people have got into it since the coronavirus lockdowns. If you think these younger people are going to give up on buy now, pay later companies in in the future, well then maybe the market's getting it right. But if you think that the trend will be that more and more people will use buy now, pay later rather than credit cards, which a lot of experts think is going to be the case, these companies certainly have a future. And it's probably likely that the current prices we're seeing uh, are far too low. I'm not suggesting they'll go back to where they were. They might, but I'm not suggesting that. But I think if if you're patient, probably these companies are a reasonable buying opportunity right now. But as I say, you'll have to be patient. It's not advice. It's just my best educational guess looking at the figures and also respecting the work done by analysts who are paid to be experts in these sorts of things. I hope I'm right. Whenever I'm asked about whether interest rates are going to rise and how will people cope with the rising interest rates, I always say to them, well, make sure you actually go into this interest rate rising cycle with the best possible interest rate you can get. And I say you should at least go to a couple of mortgage brokers to see if they can do you a better deal before interest rates start to rise. Uh, I'm going to talk now to Rebecca Jarrett-Dalton, who started a business called Two Red Shoes and she is a mortgage broker. Rebecca, thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Two Red Shoes. A lot of people will be asking, why did you call your business Two Red Shoes?
2: We're drawing upon the famous analogy from the Wizard of Oz, of course, there's no place like your home.
0: Mm, yeah, exactly right. And that's what mortgage brokers are involved in, invariably. If they're not doing investment properties, they're looking after people trying to get into a home. And I'm sure you, you have had people uh, contacting you about whether they could do better in terms of interest rates right now um, ahead of rising interest rates.
2: Absolutely. It's really busy at the moment and everybody is taking advantage of the competitive nature that the banks have all taken aboard at the
0: moment. Yeah. You know, I've been surprised, and you know, one of our financial planning clients, um, the, he actually asked, you know, you know, could he refinance? And I said, well, what interest rate are you on now? And of course, like most people, he wasn't sure. When he looked mm-hmm. it up, he was on 3.5%, which yeah. maybe three or four years ago sounded like a good rate. But nowadays, what, what kind of rate are you telling people is, is possible if they are good risks for a lender.
2: Right, and you hit the key there. So good risks, good um, pro- profile, et cetera. There's, there's rates that are in the low um, twos, some still around in the high ones. Um, sure. So but that's variable rates. So it is worth having that conversation.
0: Yeah, okay. So um, if someone, you know, wants to qualify for these l- really low rates, What typical profile would they have to have for the lender to give them a tick? All
2: right, the biggest factor is equity. You want to be borrowing under 80% of the value of the property, at least, if not 60 or 70%, that's going to put you better. And obviously you want to have clean credit. You want to have a fairly stable residential and um, job history. So be in your job for a little while, have stayed in your home for a little while, not too many other uh, loans or liabilities. But basically it's equity that's the biggest factor.
0: Okay. When people ask me about fixing, I say, well, if you're going to fix, don't fix for one or two, at least go three, maybe even four years because this interest rate cycle is probably going to go up at least for two years. Let's hope it goes for two. If it doesn't go for two, we're going to be in a lot of recession trouble, I think. Mm. What are you saying around fixed rates and what can people get for three or four year fixed rates?
2: Look, that's a really challenging question at the moment. Um, again, it depends on your profile. And essentially, if you're taking a fixed rate right now, you're giving yourself an automatic rate rise because mm. the fixed rates are between 1% and 2% higher than the current variable rates on offer. So you have to really weigh up your circumstances. Obviously, there's a lot going on. How long will you be in the property? Um, you know, How rapidly can you repay it? So there are those basic factors. But again, just be mindful that you could be automatically giving yourself either even up to a 2% rate rise at the moment.
0: Yeah, because, you know, there, there is a, a, a diversity of views from economists about how many interest rate rises this year and probably the lowest is three and probably the worst I've heard is five. You might have heard higher. What do what you, no, you I think hearing? five is
2: about the most that I've heard at this stage. Yeah. Um, but, Peter, what I would say to you is that you were actually the most accurate predictor of the economy and the way it was performed over the last two years. So uh, maybe we should look in your crystal ball. <laughs>
0: Yeah, thanks. So obviously you went to one of my my conferences, did you? Okay, yeah. right. Okay, great. Uh, it's good this, that uh, my guests are promoting me. I, I love that. All right. So, <laughs> all right. So, given what I'm seeing out there, if someone is currently on, a, say, a three percent home loan, and they are a good risk, they've got a good steady job, you're you're saying basically a mortgage broker probably could get you something around two percent.
2: We'd hope to, absolutely. And doing that will help you if you need to do anything else down the track. Um, we must remember, lenders are always assessing our um, applications at 3% over the current interest rates, allowing for that prudent buffer. So if you're already at 3.5%, for example, then they're going to be assessing you at 65 and that becomes quite challenging.
0: Mm, yeah. So to d- explain to people how the lender... Um, um, Factors the, the buffer in.
2: Mm, quite simple. What's the interest rate that you're going to be paying? Add their buffer, which is um, minimum 2.5% to 3% on top, yeah. and then it afford, work out if you've still got affordability to make those repayments.
0: Okay. Are you seeing people coming to you saying, look, I, I, can't, I think I have overborrowed and I, I, I don't think I could cope with a, a 2% rise in interest rates." Are you seeing people like that yet?
2: To an extent, so they tend to have um, consumer debt. They might have car loans or personal loans, credit cards. They're the people who um, are perhaps feeling it a little bit harder and maybe they're looking at consolidating those loans. Um, Generally, my mortgage clients aren't terribly stressed. They know they've been assessed over and we've been encouraging them to pay over through the whole of COVID.
0: Yeah. Um, In terms of um, someone trying to incorporate all their debt into a refinancing package, once again, provided they are a good risk, are lenders mm. comfortable in doing that?
2: Mm, yeah, that's right. I mean, we don't like to see nine or 10 debts coming in. And if you've got one or two, you know, a smaller number, yeah, they're, they're comfortable.
0: Um, what's the, um, what's the, the, the kind of uh, reception uh, investors are getting from lenders right now? Playing, are they playing hardball or are they being quite accepting?
2: So shall we talk about my opinion or the facts? So um, (laughs) it's a little bit more challenging for investors at the moment because the interest, uh, so the rent that they receive is discounted really heavily. And then from that discounted point, they deduct the investment expenses so the actual running costs of the property. And that makes it quite challenging for them to qualify. But is appetite there for investment lending? Yes, there
0: it is. Um, um, I I guess I'm I'm keen to know what how you would compare the health of the, the lending market now compared to, say, a year ago. Is, is, it, um, is it becoming tougher for people to get an approval for a loan? It's
2: tougher because the mandatory buffer rate went up by half a percent. But uh, in terms of uh, appetite or in terms of um, ease of approval, the scrutiny on living expenses, um, that has probably eased a little of late.
0: So if someone comes comes to you and they have a great appetite for wagyu, beef and, sh- and shiraz produced by Penfolds Grange, they're still getting home loans, are they?
2: So the conversation comes back to what your regular expenses are, what your discretionary expenses are, yeah. and what's absolutely necessary in your life.
0: Yeah, okay. Is there any other issue you think people out there should be aware of when they... Trying to prepare for this period where interest rates are going to rise.
2: Yeah, well, like I say, reduce that that buffer, reduce that lower rate that you're coming into. Get rid of any unnecessary debt. Just pay it off. Get rid of it. Then you know the pay, the payment isn't going to be painful, and as well, it won't impact your um, approval criteria. Um, minimize your expenses. The buy now, pay later, they're not helping. Um, banks don't really understand them, so they just treat them as a constant loan. Um, it's just the standard stuff. It's nothing extraordinary.
0: Mm. Yeah. So. Where are you based, Rebecca?
2: I'm out in Sydney. I'm actually towards the Blue Mountains.
0: Okay. And are you finding that you're getting more work online or is it still like good old face-to-face um seeing people, more
2: people are, yeah more people are comfortable with online um and that's uh i think maybe it's a time-saving factor for them they don't have to think about cleaning the house before i arrive um, <laughs> very comfortable and confident and there's lots of systems that have come on board um, helping us do that you know online id systems um digital signing on our mortgages everything's gotten a lot easier from the technology perspective
0: okay great thanks for joining us and let's hope you're um Your observations are helpful to people out there who need to get ready for an interest rate rising cycle.
2: Yep, thank you so much.
0: Pleasure. That's Rebecca Jarrett-Dalton from a company called Two Red Shoes. And that's the show, and don't forget we're back on Monday. And I'm interviewing the managing director of Xero. This is a company that I like and a lot of my experts on this program like. Uh, It hasn't been doing as well as many would have expected. Let's just see what lies out there with a man who would know where this company is going. So that's Monday's show, MD of Zero. That's the show, as I say. If you want any more information about us, go to switzer.com.au or sign up for the Switzer Report, switzerreport.com.au. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Peter Switzer.